Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our indigenous community from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Oscar Widow de Leon. He's a filmmaker living in Fargo, North Dakota. He's creative director of the North Dakota Human Rights Film Festival, a festival that is held annually in Fargo, produced by the Human Family, an organization that champions human rights in North Dakota. Oscar is also owner and creator of Chamber 6 Media, a video and film production company that does really amazing work. Uh, you'll have to check out their website to, to see all the work that they do, uh, music videos, uh, human rights videos, uh, just just a collection of really well done high-end work. What makes Oscar so interesting is his drive to create his own story, his willingness to move forward and to keep showing up to do the work. And I'll be honest, listening to this interview, at times it felt very much like I was listening to myself, or at least uh, what I would like to think is myself. But enough of that. Let's jump into this interview with Oscar. Oscar, hi. Welcome so much to uh, Five Plain Questions. It's really great to have you here. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Joe. So uh, let's just jump into it. Uh, would you be able to tell us a little bit about your background and where you're from? Yeah, um, I was born in Wilmer, Minnesota. Um, I've been living in Fargo since I was about 10. Uh, my family are all migrant farm workers. So um, we sort of made our way up from the border of Texas, south, you know, by Mexico, and uh, settled up here up north. And yeah, I've just been living here since. And um, I've been doing film independently since I was about 17 or 18 and just sort of teaching myself with projects and, you know, loving movies. <laughs> uh, would you be able to talk a little bit about your biggest influences, uh, as, as a filmmaker? Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to say, you know, it's like, I have the usual suspects, um, uh, I would say specifically, like, I'm super inspired by uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, Scorsese, Tarantino, Kubrick, Malick. Um, but I'm also really inspired by music as well. Um, so it's it's kind of a, a wide range. Uh, I really appreciate artists uh, that are like chameleons and progressive. Um, I, I'd say my biggest inspiration is probably Roger Waters, who I, I, I share a birthday with. Um, and I'm sort of kind of in awe of of him and his output and everything that he's ever done in his, in his life. Um, but also, yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of, uh, drawn to, um, chameleons, you know, there's like David Bowie Beck, uh, even someone like Billy Corgan, who I actually really, um, appreciate in their general risk taking when it comes to their commitment to art. And, um, yeah. And then uh, I would say uh, outside of anything like that, like film and music, my biggest inspiration comes from my cultural upbringing. Um, I would say, you know, I, I grew up as a light-skinned Mexican. So, uh, and I grew up in a place that was surrounded by, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a purely white town. So I was always sort of torn between the world that I came from and the world that I was out of sync with. 
And, um, you know, I grew up with a specific type of rhythm in my heart that was just not vibing with everything around me. So it's um, just sort of, I've really been so um, inspired or have, have made it a point to sort of express the things that I grew to love in, in a place that maybe needed a little bit more color or a little bit more expressiveness. Um, cause you know, it was, it was tough growing up here kind of removed from all of that. And, and also, you know, sort of representing something that ultimately doesn't really, um, capture who I am, you know, like just being, uh, light skinned and, and stuff like that, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a tough thing to sort of get into because it gets into like the cultural identity and stuff, you know, like, um, who are you and how, what, you know, what, what do you represent? Cause you're not, you're not Mexican enough to be Mexican, but you're not American enough to be American, but also you look like you're, you're a little white boy. I mean, that's why my nickname is Huero. Huero in Spanish means white boy. And, um, uh, yeah, there was just a certain point where I started realizing that, um, Huero is who I am. And that's who I, I have to sort of uh, uh, represent publicly, just as a, a sort of way to uh, buck against anything that's, um, that I see as, as not culturally um, diverse or anything like that. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I would say um, my, my influence really comes from a lot of my culture and, and what I would love to express. Uh- if, if I could back up for a second, um, can you talk a little bit about what drew you into filmmaking? What was, um, what was that process for you? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I've just been so in awe of film there. I don't know what specifically it was, but I think, you know, when I grew up so low, low, you know, lower class, um, very poor growing up, you know, and, and parents weren't really around because they were working three or four jobs just to make ends meet. And I think a lot of that, uh, you know, I was just watching TV a lot, I would say, and watching movies and stuff. And I, I think I just got swept up in that uh, imaginary world. And also, um, when you're not working, you know, like my parents were, the, the a big pastime would be to... Um, just sit and watch movies, you know, and, and I would, you know, my dad would always watch a lot of really interesting films and I would always end up catching them. Uh, And that sort of caught my imagination. It wasn't until I was about, you know, and I was, you know, I would say 12, 13, I started realizing that I could um, collect ideas onto a piece of paper and, and, um, uh, let my imagination run wild. And it was like around that time that, uh, DV cameras were like at least readily accessible. You know, my parents had one to record us and, you know, stuff like that. So, um, I started making little goofy movies by myself and stuff. And then, and then I got into the world of film, you know, it was like around 15, 16, you know, you start learning about, the the classics and and stuff like that um but it was like around 16 or 17 i ended up watching amores perros for the first time and um that's the you know that's alejandro gonzalez first film 
Um, and it was like, so I had never seen a movie that was so insanely visceral, but also um, representing the culture in a way that I had never seen before. Um, and it, I mean, that movie's just about, it's about Mexico City. That's what that film is about. You know, it's about how crazy that life is. And, um, and there's such a deep well of empathy in that film. It kind of just blew my brains, you know? So I, uh, it just, it, it, it sort of, it lit something in me where it made me think that I could do something like that or that I should do something like that. Um, to sort of uh, just express myself. And then, you know, along the way too, there was like, I I remember watching The Thin Red Line for the first time. Uh, and I was like, I don't know, 14, 15. And just, you know, around that time, I was like, oh, I love war films. And then that's, you know, that's, it's a war film, but it's not a war film. <laughs> like it's, no. it's something so completely different. And, um, and that just sort of like, kind of locked into me. There's something about film that I can't express it's I think it's the perfect medium because it it blends writing music and photography together in a beautiful way and there's just there's something about when I'm watching a movie when it really really hits me that it transcends all of those things put together and it I it's you know it's it's my opinion that it it can emulate life more than life itself sometimes it, it really gets to emotions that I, that are really hard to define, you know? Um, and it really is just like, you know, specific, you'll see specific frames matched with music and Terrence Malick is specifically like that. And it hits some emotion that's so ephemeral. It's so, uh, it's, it's hard to even describe that. It's just like, Oh my God. Uh, whatever that was <laughs> like, I want to do that over and over and over again. So that's, that's basically how I got into film. Just trying to capture that feeling. I I could do a, a whole episode on the thin red line. Um, <laughs> you know, we've, we've talked before yeah. uh, about the importance of this film. And I think it's just the, the, the collection of all the right people doing all the right things. Um, I feel it's Hans Zimmer's best work. Mm -hmm. um, the, the cinematographer, uh, John Toll, I believe. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Um, his work is just, uh, yeah. And I, I've spoken to, uh, a couple individuals that had worked on that film and it was a matter of patience, uh, with, um, with Terrence Malick, you know, cause they would set up these shots and they had the plans ready to go for that day. And there, and I, I've heard this from different sources, but this was said to me from someone that was there, uh, he'd be off filming a tree or a butterfly and, the production for the day was done because he was off with his cameraman chasing, you know, <laughs> chasing right. inspiration. Um, yeah. So, uh, but getting back to uh, our conversation uh, again, I could talk about this film. For yeah. Me. Yeah. Uh, so how have you developed your career? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in, in high school, I was making little films here and there. I mean, again, like I was poor. I didn't have anyone around me that was interested in film. You know, I didn't really know anyone that was interested. It was just like I was just so purely driven by that idea that um, I just felt so compelled to do something, you know, and, and to go as 
as big as possible. And, um, and, you know, uh, growing up, art was never really encouraged in the house. Um, it wasn't discouraged by any means, but it was just like, you, you grow up poor and like, you know, you don't have time to, or you don't have the time or the money to stay after school for extracurricular activities. It's like, you better get a job and start help contributing, you know? So I never really had an outlet to express myself. So I had basically, you know, built up all these feelings and emotions that I really wanted to get out. And when I was 18, I had just graduated college or uh, uh, high school. Um, and I think maybe a couple months before I graduated, I had already written a, a feature length screenplay, you know, and it was like, I'm compelled to make this thing. Like, I'm going to make this thing. It's going to be this project. And so I ended up making a 70 minute film, you know, in quotations. And it was, you know, this, I mean, heavily influenced by Amores Perros, like three, three separate interlocking stories that are like weaving in and out of each other. I mean, just like audacious, you know, and so incredibly uh, blinded by my own ambition that, you know, I, I had no idea what I was doing. And, um, but was, what was great about that was that that in essence became my film school. I ended up learning a lot about directing and, and scheduling and cinematography, editing, you know, I mean, I really was like basically in, in like publicly, like showing people, like I'm learning how to make, this. <laughs> it almost became like a, like an, um, an art performance sort of thing you know it's like it's it's kind of just kind of weird to think about but um that was when I was 18 that was already like about 11 years 12 years ago and yeah uh since then it's just sort of refining that really um learning how to make an illusion because that's what film is and um yeah I'm just trying to think like along the way it's just been trying to find people that have been um that are sort of on the same wavelength as i am and and surrounding myself with people that actually know what they're doing and um and learning from that you know because it's it's a tough business especially when you're starting from you know the low ground zero you know um i think i think film ultimately my one of my main criticisms of it is that it's a privileged art I think that's becoming less so uh, now because of digital media and stuff. And now YouTube and like you can get full filmmaking courses online for basically free. Um, but when I was starting, it was right at the beginning of that, you know, and there was no real way to learn unless you just did it yourself. And so just since then, I've just been sort of learning um, every project and, and pushing myself to to make things bigger in more intimate ways, if that makes sense, you know, like learning how to do the things that I want to do, but having to do them piece by piece. And um, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, 12 years into this, this uh, little excursion. And I, I feel like I'm just getting started. Like, I, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm getting to the point where like, I understand what it is I'm trying to do. How have opportunities presented themselves to you or how have you sought opportunities uh, from when you started to where you are now? Mm -hmm. 
Well, you know, I hope you appreciate this because it's, and you know, it's not interpreted as arrogance, but uh, in this town, like you have to make your own opportunities. And I think, uh, I think that's something that uh, I learned at a core from, from being from an immigrant family. Uh, nothing's going to be given to you. Uh, no one's going. No one's going to respect you on the basis of your status alone. So you have to create the object that has to be adored or respected or whatever you know. And in essence, uh, you have to create your own path. And um, especially when you're doing something like this, you know, you have to like create. You have to really, you know, chop down trees and stuff, and and basically put yourself out there uh, in order for opportunities to to come to you. You know. Um, yeah, if you don't, if you don't go out and try to create your own opportunities, you know, nothing's going to land in your lap. And, um, I think beyond that, I think my general interest and just me being uh, an open person has led me, uh, into like surprising detours, you know, of, of, of doing specific things. Uh, I would say, you know, like the, uh, my involvement with like the North Dakota Human Rights Film Festival was nothing that I ever saw me ever doing, but it was just like my general interest in social justice and, and human rights in general. And also being from, you know, being in the position that I'm in, which is, I, I do want to diversify Fargo or at least um, um, show that there's a lot of really, really uh, talented people that are culturally diverse in this town and, um, and being a part of the, the, the change, you know, um, I think it's super important. So like just being open in that way and actually seeking out ways that I can help uh, in tangible ways has led me down to those, you know, having those opportunities and meeting someone like Sean Kaufman, uh, who I've worked closely with and, um, and who, has, you know, since, since then have become the, the creative director for the festival. And um, yeah, it's, opportunities are really you really have to sort of you have to create them and and uh and then also be open for for new things to sort of come your way and and see if they they fit with the i don't know the um the the totality of like what you can be as as an artist or a person or or whatever i would like to uh, pivot just for a second here mm -hmm. and uh, maybe talk a little bit about the, the, the human family, um, the, the North Dakota human rights. Um, oh, just uh, my mind just went blank on the name. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, um, you're, you're halfway there. Just film festival after. <laughs> the film festival. <laughs> uh, <laughs> can you talk a little bit more about uh, your, your role with that organization now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, with the, the human rights film fest, um, I've, I've been helping Sean uh, with it in various forms from when we started. Uh, when, when I first started, I was a project manager. So I was just helping, um, you know, Sean's, Sean basically runs the whole thing. And uh, I was just there to sort of help organize and, and uh, facilitate certain things to, to happen. You know, we, the first year I was involved, I helped um, pick up these silhouettes for the um, missing and murdered indigenous women uh, project. I think that's the, the full name, but it was like these silhouettes of these women that represented all the, the women that had been, uh, that had been murdered um, or kidnapped or, or whatever. And, 
and um, I was put in, in charge of organizing the public display of the art. So it was like putting it around town in specific areas and, and just doing organizational stuff like that. And then um, as the years have gone on, I've helped contribute creative ideas to the festival and, and what I think the theme should be and, and stuff like that. So um, in this capacity now as the creative director, it's I'm, I'm going to be uh, more hands-on with um, the look and the feel of the festival. And I, get, and I would say, you know, the focal point of what we're trying to get at. Um, I, I don't want to get too, too much into the weeds of what we're planning on doing this year, but uh, we're, we're five years, you know, removed from the, um, from the, from the DAPL protest. And I think that, I mean, when we, when we first started, that was uh, what was happening that week. And I think if I'm, if I'm correct. And um, so now this year is, it's, it's really about honoring that and like looking back and seeing like what the hell happened, you know, and mm -hmm. what can we do? to stop these these people from encroaching on land and and helping a lot of these uh indigenous people that ended up going to prison <laughs> yeah it's you know thinking back to that time um i was deployed with the military overseas and someone asked me about that they they wanted to understand what was happening and one thing I had, I remember saying at that time is that to pay close attention to the way um, law enforcement and the military is treating uh, the civilians that are protesting for, for the human rights, essentially is what it was. Um, and I said, being very mindful of how they, the, the state and the feds are spinning that story and trying to control the narrative because it's easier to do that to native americans where americans generally don't care much about uh, you know even when it comes to native american issues usually it's non-natives who are the ones speaking and people and are being listened to about these issues as opposed to those who are being directly affected and i said just pay close attention because this is a practice run for what could be happening someday and i think for him and some others it was really eye-opening uh what's been going on this last year and how, you know, it's, I think things that were probably astonishing to most people uh, five years ago is, is a little more commonplace now. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and it's, I, I, I just feel like we have, as people in general, um, throughout the history of like just the absolute atrocities that, Americans have done to Native Americans. Um, we have an obligation. We have a moral obligation to uplift and and um, remove all these like archaic and and uh, racist I ideas about people. I mean, that's what mm -hmm. we're just people. You know, mm -hmm. that's what it boils mm -hmm. down to. And mm -hmm. I, I get so frustrated. I mean, you know, I'm I'm Mexican. You know, I'm I'm you know, you look at my DNA chart. It's like I'm whatever it is, the 49% indigenous, you know, like mm -hmm. it's all, we're all connected in this, in this, um, in a really tangible way. And so it's, it's just really frustrating when you see any of this stuff happen to people and, and you see the, uh, the generational trauma that, that, uh, is yes. 
that's there because of it, you know. And mm-hmm. it's it's not to I think we've talked about this in the past. It's not to sort of focus on the um, on the like this. Well, what, I don't know how to put it. Like the the suffering or like the uh, quote unquote victimhood of being mm-hmm. oppressed. It's 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 more to show the humanity of like you know we why could what makes it or what is it about these particular people that we allow ourselves as human beings to mistreat or misview or or you know or judge in a, in a particular way like it, it just doesn't make sense to me yeah. and um i think that's it's it's just we have a moral obligation to fight against the fight against that and and be active and and loud about it you know the same same thing can be said about what happened with the George Floyd stuff, um, and the his the long history of police violence against um, mainly black people, but also Latino people and, and stuff. It's just like we have a moral obligation to to put our foot down and say no. You know, we won't accept this. And you know, it it it's just so unfortunate that we get into these like. I don't know, for lack of a better term, pissing contest about, you know, the semantics of it. It just, it's, it's so yeah. stupid. Yeah. So I guess this, uh, this is a nice segue to, to this question here is what would you want to say to the 18 year old or the 22 year old uh, listening to this conversation? You know, um, I was so frustrated with myself when I was 18 uh, when I released The Cost of Living, which was my my film that I made after uh, high school. And I was just frustrated with myself because um, as a person coming out of poverty, you have to be excellent. You have to be beyond excellent. You have to be, you have to excel at every everything, you know, better than anyone who's already established. You have to like prove yourself. Um to be more competent, to be more, um, more talented or whatever, you know, like, it's like, it it always feels like you have to just be better than everyone in order to just be viewed as a normal person. And so I was, I was frustrated myself at 18 because I knew when I was a kid that what I was doing wasn't what I was seeing on screen, you know, but that's what I wanted. And, um, I mean, those are high ideals and those, those ideals are just there because you're naive, you know, you're a kid, you don't know. Um, what the reality of it is until you do it, you know. So uh, I was frustrated with myself, and I was so committed to making something that was really great, but um, I was completely, you know, blinded by, by my own naivete. And for most of my early twenties, that really plagued me because uh, it 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 made me feel like I had walked naked on stage, and and everyone was laughing at me, you know. And it, it really hurt because deep down. Um, you know, when you're watching something that isn't up to your own standards, you know, and a few years, a few years ago, I got reacquainted with that guy, you know, with my 18 year old self. And, um, I started recontextualizing the choices I made. And, you know, there was, there was a period there in my early twenties where I was really wallowing in my own dissatisfaction of what I couldn't do. Right. And, I, when I got reacquainted with myself, I I really was um, 
I saw that I was a kid that was so driven by my passions um, and my own defiance that I, I, I did I did the thing, you know, which is something that a lot of people can't say they did. And I felt such a wave of compassion for myself. And I, I just thought, wow, man, like you went for it. And and that's beautiful. You know, I, I, I now think that I wish I could just tell myself, you know, hey, keep going, be driven by your passion, but don't be blinded by it and uh, take your time learn more develop your emotions you know keep pushing um the only way i've done anything in, in this life uh is because i ha i've refused to give up and i've i've uh i've only gotten close because i've been scared of being exposed <laughs> as a complete fraud and um you know fear fear is super interesting um there's a story about customado who's mike tyson's trainer from the 80s and uh, I'm, I'm going to read the quote here so I don't, I don't screw it up. But he had this like really interesting analogy about fear. And, and he, he said, um, you must understand fear so you can manipulate it. Fear is like fire. You can make it work for you. Um, it can warm you, warm you in the winter. It can cook your food when you're hungry. And it can give you light when you're in the dark and produce energy. But if you let it get out of control, it can hurt you or even kill you. Fear is a friend of exceptional people. And I think that is such a, a beautiful way of looking at, at that, you know, um, I think, I think fear can be sharp, and it can, it can cripple you. Uh, it, it can, I think fear can, can make you sharp, and it, but it can also cripple you. Um, so it's, I think it's your duty to, um, to, to make fear your friend, you know, because then you're, you're never alone. Because you're always going to have fear. You're always, it's always going to be with you. So you might as well be friendly with it. That's, that's so great. Um, yeah. Put in that context, where can, where can the listener, uh, find your work? Where can they connect with you? Um, so I have a little production company. We, uh, our production company is called chamber six media all spelled out. And uh, we have a website, chambersickmedia.com. You can see our stuff there. Uh, I also have a personal website, uh, oscardeleonjr.com. And um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to be, the pandemic is, it's funny. It, it kind of uh, made us realize that if we didn't create, we were going to die. Hmm. So we've been hyper prolific in the past six months, just like putting stuff out. And so that's probably the best way it's our websites you know, to see all the stuff we're doing. Yeah. Okay. I'll put links in the production notes so people Perfect. can click on that and go there. Right. Thank you so much for your time. This was a great conversation. Uh, it's you, really Joe. great to connect with you again. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I would like to talk to you soon, uh, if possible. I know you're busy, but um, I have a couple things in mind that I'd like to talk to you about. So I'd love to reach out again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We'll talk then. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Oscar again for sharing his time and his story with us. Um, like the last episode, uh, this one was also a lot of fun. Uh, I, I love talking film. I love being able to engage with people in film. And Oscar and myself, we, we have this, this admiration and love for The Thin Red Line. And it's a film that if you haven't seen, um, take time to watch it. Uh, 
it is pure poetry on film, uh, both with vision, the sound. Um, it's if you're going expecting to see a war film, uh, you'll get a war film, um, but you also get something that, that's just so much more than that. So, but that's that's a conversation for another time. Uh, any which way, um, it's, it never gets old for me talking film and uh, conversations with Oscar are always the best. So Oscar, thank you for that. Uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Uh, more importantly, I want to thank you uh, for joining us and spending your time listening and to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please join us next week as we speak with another really incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook or at the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. And currently, uh, we have an exhibition by Roger Brower, uh, Oglala Lakota artist, uh, who was a previous guest on the show. Um, his exhibition is up through July, so if you get a chance, please come check it out. You will not regret doing so. Uh, those prints are also available, so contact him on his website. Uh, I believe it's rogerbrower.com. He's an amazing artist. He has work available. Go out and support him. Um, and I think that's it for this week. Uh, join us next week. Uh, again, if you have someone that you want me to talk to, send me a message. I'd really love to hear from you. So you take care and we'll 